Hello, and welcome to McGuire Woods Edible Bites, where we bring you bite-sized updates on all things happening in the life sciences space, including cannabis, hemp, CBD, and other emerging markets. Our updates are quick and packed with key industry developments that you can watch during your morning coffee, while having lunch, or on a brain break. We're excited to discuss today's food for thought. Let's get noodling. Please remember that Edible Bites podcast is for informational food for thought purposes only. These updates should not be construed as legal advice in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Please be sure to consult with an attorney before being fearless with any legal decisions. In addition, we note marijuana and other controlled substances are classified as Schedule One by the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency. Any content contained or discussed herein is not intended to provide legal advice to assist with the violation of any state or federal law. Hello, and welcome to our next edition of Edible Bites. I'm Kate Hardy, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Royce Duvenet. And we're also lucky enough today to have one of our other extremely knowledgeable colleagues in the cannabis space, Rose Stern. And today we're gonna be talking about the impact of cannabis legalization on government contracts and government contractors. And this is an incredibly important topic and one that we wanna make sure you pay attention to because what we are finding when we are talking to clients is whether you realize it or not, there might be some sort of government contract that's floating around there that you need to think about. Um, or if you have government contracts, there's some really important things you need to keep in mind if you are thinking about getting into cannabis space. And Rose, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you. And if you could just uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and about your practice, and then we will dive in. Thank you, Kate and Royce, uh, for inviting me today. And, you know, the cannabis industry is really exciting because it's really new and it touches on every legal practice. McGuire Woods has a full team of experts available. In my niche, my area is government contracts, and I've been doing uh, government contracts for over 20 years in um, the defense industry as well as executive agencies. And um, I've, I've been working with cannabis issues probably for at least the last year or so. Great. All right. So to run through our agenda for today, um, we're going to talk a lot, as we do with everything in this space, on the state versus federal interplay of cannabis and how that impacts um, federal government contractors, how it impacts if you have contracts in multiple states. We're also going to cover important questions on how contracting can actually impact um, owners or even affiliate companies, which comes up a lot. And we're going to talk about common questions and some red flags you can be keeping in mind. We're also going to talk about some real important things. If you have a small business administration loan, there's some key language um, if you're thinking about getting into the cannabis space that you need to be aware of. And then we're going to wrap up talking a little bit about pending le legislation and things we're watching and we're hoping it goes through uh, because as more and more states come on legalizing cannabis, either on the medical side 
or all the states that are rapidly coming on with the recreational side, um, it's really important to try to get ahead of some of these issues. And before we move on, because I am in North Carolina, I will note that I did see something that North Carolina might in fact be considering um, medical cannabis. So Virginia beat North Carolina uh, for leaving the South on the medical and rack, but we might be catching up to everybody else because uh, North Carolina might be feeling left behind. But all right, um, let me turn it over to you, Rose, and can you just start by giving us an overview of, we know cannabis is illegal at the federal level because it's a Schedule One controlled substance, um, but talk to us a little bit about the federal versus state law interplay um, and then how it kind of comes into play with the federal contracts. So as you stated, uh, cannabis is legalized in many states, but federal government contractors are subject to federal law, not only regulatorily, but under their contracts. And, and again, we're looking primarily at federal at this very moment in time. Um, and unla unlawful acts include manufacturing, distributing, dispensing, possessing, or an intent to manufacture, distribute, or dispense. Drug cultivation and distribution in violation of the Controlled Substance Act may be a RICO violation. And the interesting thing about RICO violations is it has a private right of action. And so most of the cases that I've seen anyway have evolved out of a private action in some cases that are as ho-hum as a nuisance case. Um, and so, you know, government contractors or uh, commercial entities can quickly get scooped up into these kinds of cases just on, on simple, uh, simple claim. It doesn't need to be a large federal investigation or that kind of thing. I think with the private right of action too under RICO, a lot of people forget that that's an option out there. Um, and like you said, that's, that's sort of a developing area, but something to be keeping in mind. And the other interesting thing about RICO is violations of the Controlled Substances Act, the term trafficking, which can be plugged and played in there, includes almost everything from, you know, giving a sandwich to a drug dealer to renting property to almost anything. Yeah, it's really broad. So, Rose, let's talk about federal contracts, Federal law, this is totally your area of expertise, <laughs> but we, we talk a lot um, about our clients who are getting into this space who have these kinds of contracts. So can you give us, give us kind of an overview um, of how these contracts work and what types of things tend to come up if you have a federal contract and you're, you're getting into the cannabis space? So just starting out looking at just an individual federal contractor. Um, and, and by the way, this may also apply to a SLED contract, which is state, local, or education, um, because those types of projects tend to have appropriated funds in, in the form of grants or federal funding. And with that comes a flow down of federal regulations and rules. And so um, contractors getting into this space or you know, looking to purchase a government contractor should look at not only federal contracts, but the SLED contracts also uh, to see what kind of flowdowns are involved. 
One of the areas that comes up a lot is labor and employment. And John Thomas of McGuire Woods is on our team, and he's given some really good overviews of commercial uh, labor and employment issues. And I just wanted to add a couple of areas that government contractors should really hone in on and look at. Um, one is the Drug-Free Workplace Act. Um, and we're, uh, one of the places that comes into play is a contractor that has multiple sites. So that was the second thing we talked about in this bullet is it's not just an individual contractor. They have multiple sites or they have employees working at government installations at multiple sites in different states. And some of those states may have legalized cannabis. So employees might think that they can use cannabis. They can go to work uh, and, and have cannabis and that they can defend themselves. But um, the Drug-Free Workplace Act requires employers that are contractors to post statements notifying employees of what prohibited conduct is and certain penalties for those violations. They also have to have a drug-free awareness program with employee training. And here's the crux. They have to take disciplinary action against offending employees and document and retain that. And that's where a lot of employers, you know, miss the boat. Um, and, and one example is where a holding company may have commercial businesses and then have a government contractor. And then, for example, the holding company might push down policies and they push down a commercial policy that, does, that doesn't include the Drug-Free Workplace Act for the federal government contractor. And by the way, we don't typically recommend that kind of slowdown, but that's an example of where we see um, contractors get into trouble because they misstep and don't take the disciplinary actions if they have a more lax commercial policy. And then the last part is another area where we see issues. Notify the government when an employee is convicted of violating um, a criminal drug statute. So, you know, a lot of more lenient policies may find that that is confidential to the company or employee and, and may not want to do that reporting. But a government contractor that fails to comply can be subject to um, debarment and suspension for up to five years, which means they can't do business with the government for up to five years for that. So it's a pretty important um, area. The other area is um, consideration of contractors who have cleared employees. So the contract has a facility clearance requirement. Um, and this is not intuitive. I mean, there was a recent case where um, a gentleman lost his clearance and eventually his job, um, even though, and that may happen when an, an employee is cleared and they're working in a state or they reside in a state where cannabis is legal. Um, it also applies if the employee, like I said, um, is using a medical prescription. So that's not really intuitive for a lot of employers. Exactly. I mean, I think on that too, um, we did do another webinar through McGuire Woods called Read in the Workplace, which focuses just really on the labor and employment side, but to the point you made earlier, there are just so many different angles where this cannabis issue can come up right now. So you may be thinking, oh, I'm dealing with the labor and employment aspect of this based on my state or what's required or whether I'm in a rec or a medical state. But then you also have to take that extra step and say, but wait, do I have federal contracts as well? And what does that mean for those federal contracts? And I, I mean, a lot of those federal contracts are extremely important to businesses and can be a lot of revenue. Um, and you don't, you don't really want to take a, a misstep with that one. Um, and 
I'm going to add it in here because it's timely and in the news when we're recording this. I mean, let's look at the um, the athlete that just had issues with testing positive for cannabis um, and is not able to go to the Olympics. And I feel like there's just so much, <laughs> um, so many challenges trying to comply with what we have to deal with at the federal level and then maybe what's legal at the state level. And it just, it is a bit of a mess right now trying to, to make everything work. All right. So that this next slide that we have, uh, in addition to sort of your federal contracts that you might normally think of, uh, a lot of folks, especially obviously small businesses, um, might have contracts with the Small Business Administration, which I think they have been um, much more clear sort of on, on the rules here if you're dealing in cannabis. And can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, I picked this I picked this little topic here, or mini topic, I guess, uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, I've had um, cases where small businesses that either had direct or, or just indirect benefits from cannabis businesses, they had cannabis business customers, uh, were afraid to apply for PPP loans because the small business 7A program was over those PPP CARES Act loans. So this was front, you know, front and foremost in a lot of folks' minds. Um, the other reason I picked it is because it's very concise and clear as to the SBA's policy. And frankly, even though I haven't found written policies, this has been uh, the policy, the stance of agencies that I've worked with. And so I thought it, it, it might be good. And I know people hate to be read too, but I'm just going to read the second bullet because it has a lot of, this is a quote from the policy and has a lot of direction in it. Um, Financial transactions involving a marijuana-related business would generally involve funds derived from an illegal activity. Therefore, businesses that derive revenue from marijuana-related activities or that support the end use of marijuana are maybe ineligible for SBA financial assistance. This prohibition includes direct as well as indirect businesses. Indirect marijuana business include businesses that derive gross revenue from the previous year from sales to direct marijuana businesses of products and services that could reasonably be determined to support the use, growth, enhancement, or development of marijuana. You know, and this really kind of follows along the thread of, um, you know, RICO defined prohibitive, prohibited activities. And it's very far reaching. It's again, it's not intuitive to me because it's super far reaching and the uh, explanation or an, an example they provided was a commercial uh, real estate landlord leasing space to a cannabis business and getting revenue and benefit from that uh, was considered to be prohibited. So to me, that's just really far reaching. It could probably also <clears throat> include you know, a manufacturer of farm equipment or anything that would normally be used for like corn, but all of a sudden 25% and percentage isn't a trigger, but a large amount of their product is being used for marijuana cultivation. Yeah, I think a couple points to note on this one is, first of all, for the real estate example, um, most states 
have laws for marijuana businesses and they explicitly address relationships with landlords. So this is another area, again, where you're dealing with, you know, one set of things at the federal level where you just can't do it and it's used as an example and you have something else at the state level where the state says, sure, if you're going to get into a relationship with a landlord, which you have to, to have your business somewhere, you know, we want, you have to have these things in the contract or, you know, this information has to be disclosed about the landlord. So again, you can't just be thinking about what's happening in the state. You've really got to take a bigger step out and be thinking about other things like, well, what loans do I have? Um, And the other thing is, an indirect marijuana business is pretty much anything you can think of. It's power, it's water, it's the real estate, it's, you know, selling wrappers. It's, it's anything where you're coming into any kind of contact with that business. And it's, it's pretty broad. Um, so it's a big net that you need to be thinking about. One of the other interesting things, Kate, is, you know, we advise on leases all the time, but, you know, for the purposes of this, if you're a landlord and you're, you're renting to a marijuana business, you may have to consider the fact that, you know, you may be, you know, violating or may not be eligible to some extent under SBA, but the act of doing that would be a violation of 21 USC 856, which is unfortunately known as the crack house rule, which is making it illegal to rent property for use of controlled substance. So it's kind of in a, a double bind if you're, you're a landlord for, for cannabis. Yeah, I'm guessing there's a lot of landlords out there that maybe don't realize all that. Uh, so if you are a landlord, maybe think about it. And also think about whether or not you've got any involvement with SBI. Okay, so the next topic we're going to talk about, and this is probably the most complicated one, but we're going to cover it high level and as simply as we can. Um, but how to be thinking about federal contracts from the perspective of being an owner or an affiliate. And this again comes up a lot with different types of businesses and questions that we get. If there's a company that maybe wants to get into the cannabis space for whatever reason, and they're trying to insulate themselves, or you're at least thinking about insulating yourself and saying, well, I'm going to create an affiliate company or my affiliate's going to do this. um, So we can keep some separation, but there are still some things to be thinking about from the affiliate perspective, from a federal contracting perspective. And Rose, can you try to sort of talk us through the key things on that? Sure. So we started small and we're getting big. We started with an individual government contractor, a sole proprietor perhaps, and then we looked at uh, multiple sites and now we're looking at an enterprise basically. And this comes up Mm -hmm. quite a bit when either a holding company already has commercial entities in the same portfolio as a government contractor subsidiary. But probably um, the most important part is when a um, investor is looking at purchasing a government contractor entity or already has a government contractor entity and is looking at investing in um, cannabis businesses. 
So one of the phrases that's used in government contracts, especially in certifications, is a principal. And a principal might be an officer, director. It's also an owner or a partner. It's, it's kind of a wide sweeping term. And it might include the highest level owner, which could be several holding companies up. So when companies are doing their diligence and they're looking at all of the facts, um, they really should look at the government contract and what certifications are required um, to make sure they don't run afoul of any of these rules and regulations. So I put a couple of uh, questions up that the answers are highly dependent on the factual situation and they can get complicated very quickly once you start peeling back the onion. Um, but number one, could a commercial affiliate or principal owner engaged in a cannabis business that's lawful under certain state law create a reportable offense for a federal government contract? Um, and to answer that question, the contractor or who, you know, the parent should look at the solicitation certifications that are required, the types of disclosures that are required, annual certifications, mandatory disclosures. These are all disclosure uh, forms that federal contractors need to make to the government, as well as indirect benefit from cannabis sales. So we were talking a little bit about that indirect benefit on our prior slide. And you know, one thing that comes to mind for me is you have a holding company that has subsidiaries that might be commercial, maybe a cannabis business and a government contractor, and it wants to sweep funds from those subsidiaries to the mm -hmm. holding company for purposes like um, accounting or you know those types of things. Or maybe they have a shared service agreement and they do certain accounting work for each of the subsidiaries. Yep. You need to take a hard and fast look at that. You know, we typically, I typically. Um, like to have contractors look at what how they're doing that to make sure they're violating all the other regulatory financial and cost accounting standard requirements but then this is one other thing that's added to that checklist to make sure that indirect benefit is not flowing back down to that federal contractor from the cannabis businesses um, number two if a principal owns a commercial and federal government contracting company, will it jeopardize a federal business by acquiring a cannabis business legally operating in a state? Um, and the difference between this question and the first question is the nuance that um, it doesn't already have the entities. This is a case where a buyer is out looking. And this is the perfect time to mm -hmm. make analysis you know, before you're already in the stew, so to speak, you are looking to acquire uh, a new business, it's always good to do this assessment and it's much more cost effective to do the assessment and stand up any internal controls that are required or simply wait until, you know, if it's too too much for you, uh, wait until uh, cannabis is legalized at the federal level. But to make that intellectual decision beforehand is always much better. And then the last um, question, again, is not intuitive for many contractors. Are there any restrictions on purely state and local contracts awarded uh, in a state where cannabis is legal? And I um, had a contractor in this particular situation. And this, this contract was subject to federal grant money. There was flow down. Um, and so that's one of the main things that you need to look at on those contracts. And that would apply to other issues, not just cannabis issues, like, for example, Buy America. 
is often flowed down and EEO and socioeconomic requirements. And um, a lot of contractors don't carefully look at their contracts. So that would be one thing that you would want to analyze pretty closely. And again, in addition to all of those fun things, you've got tax <laughs> and all kinds of other things that can come up as well. So it's a big, big net. All right, so now we're gonna, we've, we've gone over some of the higher level federal contracting considerations. The next couple slides, we're just gonna briefly talk about some of the things that are out there that have been floating. Um, maybe hopefully we'll start getting some movement soon, but um, different laws that may hopefully close this gap um, between federal and state when it comes to cannabis. And let's just talk about those high level um, real quick so folks can also be aware of those. And we, we are tracking those um, as well. And we have a government affairs arm that if anybody wants more information on that, um, we can definitely connect them. But our teams on the legal side and the government affairs side are, are watching all of these to see how they play out. But let's just talk about them for a few minutes before we wrap up. So um, Ryan Bernstein on our, uh, on our team has created this slide that summarizes two of, the, uh, two of the bills that have been running through the federal bills. Um, he's done a great job. Um, the only thing that I wanted to talk about was a couple of nuances as it relates to uh, government contracting again. So, so Ryan summarized the Moore Act as well, and that act passed through the House last year, um, but it did not get to the Senate, unfortunately. And um, it has been reintroduced into the House, as I understand. The important part about the Moore Act, though, is or any other bill that may be similar, um, is that it by legalizing cannabis at the federal level. It, it is probably going to open up potential really large markets within the government contracting space. And I'm thinking mostly, you know, medical use, for example, through Veterans Affairs or distribution through the mm -hmm. Defense Logistics Agency, DLA, could open up a lot of opportunities for government contractors. Um, there may also be availability of federal grant money for research and development, especially in the medical space. And, you know, looking at small businesses who are working in the cannabis industry, it would, it would open up the SBA portfolio, which includes lending, business advice, and set aside programs for federal opportunities and contracts. So, frankly, I think this is the biggest takeaway for today for folks who are listening. Um, if you think that uh, this, these might be of interest, maybe start looking at some of these programs now and gathering together the things you're going to need to be able to submit applications to qualify or, you know, go out and look on uh, SAM, uh, the database that has all the federal opportunities and look at some of the research and development opportunities that are currently um, available with Veterans Affairs and, and other agencies and see, you know, if there's anything that might, um, that might be of interest after legalization kind of get your feet wet. And with that, I am going to move on to food for thought, but we, we do have a lot of people um, who are doing what you said, Rose, kind of trying to 
think ahead as much as possible. It is a difficult puzzle piece, um, just given everything at the federal and state level, but being on top of it definitely will prepare you um, when hopefully a lot of this stuff finally comes together. But we really, really appreciate having you on today. I mean, I think this is really informative and very helpful. And there's so many businesses out there that have some sort of federal contract. I mean, it's incredibly important um, to be thinking about. So food for thought, what, what takeaways should we leave folks with after listening to all these things um, on federal contracting and how to think about it in the cannabis space? I think the biggest food for thought is the uh, the new opportunities that may be coming once uh, cannabis is legalized at the federal at the federal level. Um, I really hope that everybody got at least a checklist of things they should be thinking of, if not answers, then at least a checklist, so that they're more aware. And um, one thing I've I've noticed is companies come uh, to me for advice, and prior to getting audited, didn't realize they had federal contracts. So it might be a good idea just to do a quick scan of your organization um, because sometimes companies, just because they have a PO or they may have lost the federal contract, they believe then they don't have one. Um, and then lo and behold, they get audited. So it might be a good idea to just take a look and, and see what you have in your portfolio. Yeah, that is a great point. If you are thinking about getting into this space, you really need to ask a lot of questions. Um, not only, I mean, I think the big, big takeaway for me and what we've seen come up with clients is it's not just the little bubble that you're working in. Uh, you really need to find other people who can expand that bubble for you and make sure you've really checked if there's an affiliate or somebody else or, you know, some contract in there that you weren't aware of that, really could have some sort of significant impact um, if you don't start thinking about it sooner rather than later. All right. All right. Well, we thank everybody for listening. We hope this has been informative and helpful. As always, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, you can find us on the McGuire Woods website. If you have questions for Rose, feel free to Reach out to her and we appreciate your attention. Until next time, you can noodle on that. Thanks.